Uh, I am, um, oh man, I, I've just been wrecked by worship. I was wrecked by that song. So here's the deal. Let me just say this right now. Uh, you may, I may or may not follow my notes tonight in your bulletin. Um, I'm just going to speak to you from my heart. Uh, we're in this series called Dreaming Wide Awake, and um, we've been talking about the reality that maybe God's calling us to live a life uh, that's much bigger than what we've known, right? That maybe God is calling us to, to live um, embracing God-sized vision for our lives. Uh, God's, maybe we've been exploring this idea that maybe God has a better thing, a better story planned for our lives than the ones we're living now. And this entire time for the first four or five weeks of this series, we've been talking about that big God-sized vision. We've been talking about uh, what it looks like to let go of comfort, to leave what Ryan called the lap of luxury. We talked about the reality that it will cost us our comfort to pursue God's calling in our lives. We also talked about prayer, that that God-sized vision is so huge we can't do it on our own, and so prayer must be the launching point. It has to be the starting point for us and not the last resort. Tony last week talked about how do we engage God-sized vision when When opposition hits us, when external opposition comes our way. But tonight, I want to examine something a little more personal, a little bit more intimate. I want to examine the interior of our hearts and our souls, and it comes directly from the Nehemiah text. It's this old ancient story about this man who lived in luxury in the royal court of the king of the land, and he leaves that behind to go rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, which was at the time a broken city. In tonight's text in Nehemiah chapter 5, we see something very interesting happen in the dynamics of Nehemiah rebuilding the exterior walls of the city. What we find in chapter 5 of Nehemiah is that he pauses for a moment to to, um, examine and to engage proactively what is happening inside the city walls. And this is what we want to do tonight in our hearts and our souls. There's this woman named Kristen Ashburn. This is her picture. Kristen Ashburn in the 1990s was a fashion photographer. And she lived in Manhattan, and she was one of the most highly sought-out production managers and fashion photographers in the fashion industry. She was making tons of money. She was gaining notoriety. Her work was being published in all sorts of places. Kristen Ashburn was a name in the fashion industry. And yet she felt empty. She had her camera and her skill as a photographer, and she was producing all of this work, but she talks about it now, and she says she felt like there was something missing, like it wasn't amounting to anything. And during that time, she continued reading story after story in the New York Times about the AIDS pandemic happening in Africa. And in 2001, Kristen Ashburn took a trip out to Zimbabwe, Africa, which ought to sound familiar to you because our hearts as a church are deeply connected to Zimbabwe. I just got a a bag of coffee earlier tonight from Zimbabwe, which I'm really excited about. Yes, awesome. It's for us to share, by the way. I'm not stealing that. Don't worry. (laughs) 
And she goes to Zimbabwe, Africa, and her heart breaks as she sees poverty and what AIDS and war and, and uh, economic crisis has done to the land. And she responds. She quits her job as a fashion uh, production manager and photographer. And she takes her camera. And she takes her skill and know-how as a photographer. And she begins snapping photos that mean something. Some of the photos um, are, are going to be right here. I want you to take a look in. Kristen Ashburn took what she knew. She took the notoriety and the fame, and she said, no more. And this is the shift that happened for Kristen Ashburn. She talks about this at length in multiple interviews. This is the shift. She began to understand that when she was working in the fashion industry, it was an industry driven by the consumer. It was an industry that, that was dictated by the person who would see the photograph. It was about what that person, the consumer, wanted to see. It was about what would capture the, the consumer's wallet, right? It was about what would uh, capture the consumer's desire, their, their kind of carnal desire to have what it was that Kristen Ashburn was, was, was taking photos of. And here's the shift that happened for her when she began her photojournalism career. Today, Kristen Ashburn is one of the most uh, prolific and respected photojournalists in the world. She has won numerous awards, and her work is featured in Time Magazine, Newsweek, The New York Times, and The New Yorker constantly. She is a voice and an advocate for the third world, and she is a voice through the lens of her camera. And that shift happened because she said, I no longer wanted to take pictures that were about the consumer. I wanted to start taking pictures that told the story about the subject. I wanted to start taking pictures and sharing images with the world that wouldn't cause people to desire to purchase things. I wanted to take photographs that would cause people to think, to be challenged, to move into action. And this entire series, I'm just speaking from my heart to you. Because if you hear nothing from the past four weeks and the next two weeks, you need to hear this. The entirety of this series about embracing God-sized vision for our lives, it feels great, right? It feels great to say my life is going to be a part of something that is remembered. But here is what we must understand. It begins deep inside of you and me. A shift must happen. A shift must occur. We must stop caring so much about what the world thinks of us and the story we are telling. Because when we allow the world to tell us the story they want to hear, we are removing ourselves from the story that God desires to write in and through us. And here's the deal. It doesn't matter what the world thinks. It doesn't. What matters is that we are passionately pursuing the heart of God, whatever that might be. Whatever that might be for you individually and whatever it might be for us together as a community. 
regardless of the ridicule and the mockery and the, the, the opposition that may come our way, we must live into whatever it is God is calling us into. This is what we see in Nehemiah's story. In chapter 5, let me just give you the background of Nehemiah chapter 5. Here's what happens. In the city of Jerusalem, while Nehemiah is rebuilding the exterior walls, there is a corruption and oppression happening inside. You see, the officials of the city, the high-ranking, the high-ranking officials of the city were oppressing the people. They were levying these really heavy taxes on the people. The officials of the city of Jerusalem were literally impoverishing the people of Jerusalem. At this time, during the time of Nehemiah, what, you, what we have to understand is that when somebody was in debt, not only would they lose their property and possessions as collateral until the debt could be repaid, it was incredibly common for people to even lose their sons and daughters to enslavement as collateral. So if you owed a ton and you could not pay and you didn't have enough property or possessions to give, you would eventually have to give your son or your daughter away. They would become slaves until you could repay your debt. I mean, it was this dark, broken, messed up system. And Nehemiah sees this happening in the city, inside the city, inside the walls that he is working so hard to build. And here's how he responds. We're not going to read the entire chapter, but I just want to hit a couple of key passages in Nehemiah chapter 5. Verses 6 and 7, Nehemiah says this, When I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very angry. I pondered them in my mind and then accused the nobles and officials. Verse 14 and 15, moreover, from the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah until his 32nd year, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allotted to the governor. But the earlier governors, those preceding me, placed a heavy burden on the people and took 40 shekels of silver from them in addition to food and wine. Their assistants also lorded it over the people. But out of reverence for God, I did not act like that. Verse 18, Nehemiah reinforces his action. He says, I never demanded the food allotted to the governor because the demands were heavy on these people. Nehemiah leads by example. See, here's the thing. At this time, Nehemiah had a legal right. It was within legal bounds, the bounds of the law, for him to take a very special allotment of food and, and monetary possession from the people. I mean, he, it was his legal right to collect these things. And yet he chooses, he proactively chooses to stand back and say, no, I'm not, I'm not going to collect the allotment of food and the money that I could legally claim for myself. And he does this because he understands, and he says it in verse 18, these burdens were heavy on the people. They were heavy on the people. See, here's what I want all of us to see in this text. Nehemiah doesn't simply, the, the picture of integrity that Nehemiah paints for us in chapter 5 is not a passive surrendering of your will. 
You see, it doesn't tell us that Nehemiah simply believed that what the officials of the city were doing was wrong and, and that was it. He actually takes action. Right? Nehemiah takes action. It tells us that he hears the outcry of the people. He was angry, and he doesn't stop there. He doesn't make a, a, a thought decision or an emotive decision. He actually allows those decisions to, to compel him toward movement, toward action. He says, I pondered them in my mind, and then I accused the nobles and the officials. And here is what I want us to get from this story integrity in the pursuit of integrity of living a life of integrity like nehemiah a life that exemplifies godly values is not about passively surrendering the list of sins on that checklist of things that christians aren't supposed to do we often think that's integrity as long as i don't do x y and z i am living a pure life and here's the deal if we believe that then we are going to find ourselves in a destructive circle that never ends you will constantly struggle to not do all that stuff that you don't think christians ought to do but integrity is not passive surrender. This is in your notes. Integrity is not passive surrender when dreaming wide awake. Integrity becomes a proactive pursuit. A proactive pursuit, not a passive surrender. You see, the life of integrity, the life of purity, the life that, that, will, that will be used by God to change a city and a world and your heart and mine, that life is a life that doesn't passively surrender the, the sins of the flesh. Well, yeah, I really struggle with these things, but I'm just going to kind of weakly lay them down at the cross. No, the life of integrity like Nehemiah exemplifies for us in his story is to passionately, proactively pursue the right thing. C.S. Lewis, you've heard this quote before. C.S. Lewis says this. He says, integrity, and here's the key word for tonight, is doing the right thing, even when no one is watching. Note that C.S. Lewis does not say, integrity is not doing bad stuff. Integrity is not sinning. He doesn't say that. He says, integrity is doing the right thing. Action. Dallas Willard, I love the way he says it. He says, it is entirely a matter of the innermost hearts being totally open and honest before God. It is a matter of what we are saying with our whole being, moving with resolute intent and clarity of mind into the flow of God's action. I love that. Resolute intent into the flow of God's action. God is moving and the life of integrity is a pursuit of the moving God who is moving in our city moving in our hearts, moving in our world. It's not a sad sitting in a corner alone in the darkness struggling with those sins. Those sins are byproducts of a dead life. And once we experience resurrection life and begin living the new story God has for us, the, the whole checklist of things you should not do, it's not a struggle not to do them. It becomes a byproduct of living a life that has no time for that stuff. Now, I'm not saying it's that simple. Sin and flesh and brokenness, it will always, it will constantly be around us in this life. We get that. And the Bible is very clear about that. But there is a different paradigm through which we might look at life. The Bible tells us that we're more than conquerors. 
and yet we live like slaves, struggling to unshackle ourselves when Jesus has already freed us. And so when we put our hearts and minds toward the work of pursuing, proactively pursuing God in the ways of his kingdom, it changes everything. There's another thought here from Nehemiah's story, and it's this. This is in your notes. God-sized vision always confirms, and it never compromises, God-given values. God-sized vision confirms and doesn't compromise God-given values. Nehemiah was focused on building the exterior walls of the city, but what he understood was that if the, if the God-given values of justice and hope and mercy and love and grace were not vibrant in the walls of the city, then the exterior walls meant very little. And this is the challenge for us. For Kristen Ashburn, she realized that she had all the skill in the world and she had the best cameras and she had all the notoriety and money she needed, but she understood that on the inside there was something missing. And it wasn't until she began to proactively pursue that deep passion in her heart to make a real difference in herself and in the world. It wasn't until then that she began to recognize what real life is meant to be. Nehemiah recognizes this about his city, that the walls could look grand and fantastic and amazing, but if there was brokenness inside, then it meant nothing. And this is true for us. Proverbs 21, 3, to do what is right and just is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. And and here's the deal about that. It isn't about jumping as high as we can to reach some impossible moral standard. Because here's the deal. God-given values are not moral bars high in the sky calling us to jump higher. Instead, God-given values call us to search deeper, inward. For, for something that Thomas Merton calls our hidden wholeness, that place where Christ has done his work. Philippians 2.3, Paul writes, it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. We'll talk a little bit more about that. What does it mean to look inward here toward the end in a minute? But, but here's the deal. Um, I have an Instagram, and as I was thinking about, I knew I was going to share Kristen Ashburn's story with you um, tonight, and so I thought, you know, I too am a photographer, (laughs) and so I started going through my Instagram. I have pictures of, like, my friend's beards, (laughs) Um, a Tapatio bottle, uh... What are some other good ones I have? I was going to show them to you, but it was just way too embarrassing. Um, I've got all these like meaningless pictures, you know? And I try to get so clever with them. I was, I was reading my, uh, you know how you like, you title your pictures or you write a comment or whatever? And I, just, I was looking through my Instagram pictures, reading the, the titles, the way I've titled my pictures and my hashtags, you know? We all try to get really clever with our hashtags. 
You know, it's really funny about Instagram. The moment you take the picture and hashtag something and post it, you think it's like the most hilarious thing ever. And then you give it like a day or two or a week or for me like a few weeks and then you look back and it's like, wow, I would like to punch me, right? It's like so lame, you know, it's so lame. And Instagram's a funny thing. It's a funny deal because we are trying to express something to the world, right? We're thoughtful about our hashtags. We are thoughtful about the picture we take. We're thoughtful about the filter we put on it, right? Most of us, let's not lie, most of us get stoked when it goes from like listing the names of likes to a number, right? Because you're like, oh, that's awesome. And then you took that one picture that one time that just hit it big and you had like 106 likes. You're like, what? I need to quit my job and become a pro- professional photographer, right? It's like, This is what we do. We allow the response and reaction of others to dictate. My wife is really funny, actually. None of you know that she has an Instagram, but she does. You know why she has one? She never posted on Facebook, nothing. My wife has an Instagram because she thinks it's a really easy way to keep track of her life. It's not for you. Jenny takes pictures on Instagram. She doesn't even have her face as her, her, she still has the egg thing, you know, as her profile picture or whatever. And she just takes them for herself. Because it's not about you. It's not about what you think about her pictures. For her, it's about the story of her life. And this is what, in, in a much larger scale, this is the reality that Kristen Ashburn began to learn. It's not about what people think about the stuff you and I produce It's not about the image we put out there. It's not about, and some of us, we do this as Christians too, right? Like we want to be like the cool Christians and want to do like I wear Tom's shoes and I went to Africa like six times and I'm amazing and we do these things. And I'm not saying those things are bad, but often we do them and the enemy turns those things inside out on us and we become so fixated on what that tells the world. But here's what is real about Nehemiah's story. He understands that the exterior walls meant very little if the inside of the city was not restored and whole. Kristen Ashburn understood that the pictures she put out there that sold for thousands of dollars meant very little if they didn't hold lasting weight, if they didn't express truth and beauty and hope. And this is true for our lives The pictures you are expressing, sharing with the world, not literal, but the pictures that your life shares with the world, do they have lasting meaning and value and beauty? If you and I could begin living those types of stories, I guarantee you that is when God begins to move to change the world. Kristen Ashburn, and I told you her story earlier, as she began to change her career to photojournalism, to taking pictures that would make a real tangible difference in the world. She got on to this big kick and she thought to herself, you know, it's not about my camera. This is not about my skill as a photographer. In fact, this is a quote from her. She says, what matters most is not the camera, the photographer's skill, or even the photograph itself. What matters is that with every picture, there are individuals who have full lives and stories that deserve to be told. What matters most is the content of their stories, their truth, and their vulnerability. And so she began connecting with an organization called Through the Eyes of Children. 
And she did this. She put $10 disposable cameras in the hands of Rwandan orphans between the age of 8 and 17. And she gave them a little bit of training with a cheap piece of $10 camera, disposable camera, because she understood, as we all must understand, that the quality of the camera and the skill of the photographer, the stuff we put out there to impress the world, means very little. What really matters is the content of our story. And so these little Rwandan orphans with $10 disposable cameras, began snapping pictures like these. It isn't the camera or the skill of the photographer that's important about a picture. What's important is is the content and the story and the truth that story reveals. In Nehemiah's day, the God-sized vision to rebuild the city's exterior walls was only as important as the God-given values of justice, mercy, love, and hope inside the city. And in our lives, yours and mine, we must do the difficult work of proactively pursuing lives of integrity, allowing God to redeem and restore the interior condition of our souls so that he might ready us for the exterior work of his kingdom. I hope, I hope that if the, if the life of our community and you and I, the people who, who make up this community, if we were to tell our story in a series of snapshots, I hope that our photographs would have weight and meaning and depth and richness in life. I hope that there are pictures that would change and inspire and challenge people to believe that there is a life better than the one they know now. Because if that's not the story we're telling, the story we're telling doesn't matter. On your chairs, you all got one of these. It's a Lent reader. And uh, this was actually, the, the, the content was actually written by um, Alicia McClintock, who is one of the uh, many fabulous writers we have in our community. And Lent is a season that prepares us for Easter. It begins this Wednesday, February 13th, with Ash Wednesday. And for us as a church community, here is what we are going to do. We are going to observe Lent. Lent is a time when you typically fast. Many of you have done this. You fast from something. But we want to ask you to participate together with us. And so we're going to participate in Lent in three different parts. And so you'll see on this reader that we would ask all of you to take home. Take, home, take one home for family or friends if you need to. There, there are plenty. And um, you'll see that it, it describes Lent, and it's got the dates for part one, which is just this Wednesday until the 23rd. And we're fasting from media, TV, movies, music. And we're not legalistic about this. Some of you are like, you know... Uh, my friend Joel works at Netflix, and so it might be tough for him to shut down Netflix because then he wouldn't work. Um, 
right? So we're not being legalistic, but this is really about the, the condition of our souls. And here's why I bring this up to close. Uh, our hope is that as we fast, at least for the next 10 days, week and a half, uh, from media, from shutting down, shutting off all of the noise and the chaos that surrounds us, all this stuff that tells us lies about how the world works and what we need and all of that. Our hope is that you might spend some time in Scripture and that you might really open your heart up, that I might really open my heart up to allow God to come in and do that work deep inside of me, that place deep inside of us that no one else in this room knows about, that dark place in my soul that if I were to open that up right in front of you right now, I'd be so embarrassed I'd run out of this room and maybe never come back. That place deep in the interior of the walls of the city, right? It would be like the city center for Nehemiah. Our hope is that you might shut off the noise and let God grip you in that place deep in your soul and begin doing a work. Because that's where it begins. That's where it starts. And I believe, we believe, that if we would allow Jesus to take a hold of us there, then the stories our lives begin to tell have weight, and meaning, and richness, and life. And those are the stories that change the world. And if we are not here to join God in changing the world, then what's the point? Let me pray for you, and then we'll close with some songs. Jesus, we... Um, we are moved tonight by uh, your spirit in worship. And in these words, God, our hope is that um, we wouldn't feel depressed or broken, uh, that we wouldn't feel guilty. God, my hope is that all of us right now might feel inspired and moved and challenged and motivated to action to passionately, proactively pursuing integrity, to pursuing a life that's bigger than the one we're living now, to cling tightly to the values you have given us, never compromising those, even as we pursue God-sized vision, to never compromise the values that you've, you've called us to, to live into. And God, our hope, is that as we allow you to do interior work, work deep in our souls, our hope, God, is that in our openness and in our brokenness and as you renovate and restore and redeem even the darkest places, that you might begin to use us to tell this world stories, to show them images and pictures that tell a totally different story of, of reality kingdom reality and that you might begin to change us our city and our world because of our commitment to proactively pursuing you to giving ourselves to you completely and wholly and fully do that work in us we invite you to come and do that work deep deep inside of us in jesus name amen